to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning. Hope they have a great time there, downstairs. And I want to personally thank my friend, Chris Morris, uh, for coming up. And uh, what you don't know about Chris, uh, he's leading worship for us uh, today in the next two weeks, but he's actually, he serves at one of our partnering churches uh, that have been with us in this journey from the very beginning. And and Chris is taking time on his sabbatical, like his time of rest and just recovery away from ministry because of their partnership with us and because his personal love for Redemption Hill. He said, you know what? I'd love to come to Boston for a few weeks to, to rest and recover. Uh, but while I'm there, I know you're in this transition season in terms of your worship leadership. How about I serve your church? And uh, I said, man, if, if you're willing to do that, I can't say no. Uh, to that. So just an expression. Not only does a great job, but the heart behind the great job is, is much more important. So I want to thank Chris uh, for that. Um, and then, uh, then uh, it's, it's an exciting week, right, uh, to be a part of Redemption Hill with Soccer Nights. We've already prayed for that, and you'll hear just a little bit more of that at the end of our time together. Uh, but, but beyond that, let's, let's all be honest, it's been a very, very difficult week in the life of our country. These events have been tough and they've been tragic. I'm sure most everyone is well aware, Tuesday there was a man named Alton Sterling who was confronted by police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was forced to the ground and in a seemingly defenseless position uh, was shot and and killed there um, in Baton Rouge. And then... The very next day, another African-American man by the name of Philandro Castile uh, was stopped in a traffic stop, and when uh, he was apparently grabbing his ID, um, the officer must have thought that he was going for a weapon that he was carrying, and he was brutally shot there in his vehicle. And then... Dallas happened. A sniper targeted Caucasian police officers, killing five, wounding seven others, including a couple of civilians. And I think anyone familiar with these events just had to step back and pause and say, like, what is going on in our country? There is sorrow, there is outrage, and there is confusion as we seek to understand what's happening, who we are as a people, and where we should go together. And so I don't know about you, but, but when, when things like this happen, I inevitably find myself um, processing and searching. I certainly go to the Word, and we're going to the Word this morning, but, but I oftentimes also just, just hop on uh, the news to read uh, news stories and commentating from you know, cultural commentators and, and even on social media. And one of the most helpful uh, articles that I found was, was not, did not originate in the past five days, but actually the words were spoken 51 years ago by a man named Martin Luther King Jr., The eloquent civil rights leader led a group of people marching from Selma to the state capitol in Alabama, Montgomery, and there on the steps of the state capitol, he 
offered a short speech that came to be known as how long, not long. And the final words of this address just grabbed me this week. I want to read them for us in a much less eloquent manner. Dr. King said this, I know you are asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men, darken their understanding and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lying prostrate in the streets of Selma and Birmingham and communities all over the South be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men? Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from weary souls with chains of fear and the manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth bear it? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold Wrong forever on the throne, yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch over his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Dr. King spoke these words as someone who experienced the oppression of those around him, and he was bound and determined to push back against it, to fight against it, to seek liberty and freedom for not just his people, but all people's. But he also spoke these words as a follower of Jesus Christ. What was behind all of these words was a vision of, of God and a vision of Christ that, that drove his determination for justice and gave him hope that this, this arc of the moral universe was truly bending toward justice because Jesus brings justice and Jesus will have the last word. And so as we process these events this week, and as we come to what most would agree is the climax of the gospel of John, the crucifixion of Jesus, this narrative of, of Jesus' impending death, I believe we can take this story, the story of Jesus, and begin to understand not only who he is, but who we are and who we can be and become. And so what I want to do is I want to read 
these words from John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. And I want to invite us to think about what it looks like to love past the pain. Love past the pain. This is surely what Jesus exemplifies for us in John chapter 18. So let me read these words as we jump into the scripture today. John writes, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said... I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? 
He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you with him in the garden? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. In this story, we are going to see Jesus continue to move toward his death. And as Jesus moves toward the cross, we need to understand that he is going to experience a pain that is unparalleled by any other person in human history. We can say that from a spiritual and theological perspective. Certainly others have suffered physically in the same ways, but when you look at the emotional pain, which we're going to zoom in on today, and you look at the spiritual pain of someone who is perfect, the perfect son of God, taking on all of our sin in order to bring us back to God, we cannot begin to imagine. If we could just kind of take the story of Scripture and say, if that's true, then this is true. If that is true, that Jesus is taking our sin then there is no other pain to match this pain that Christ experienced here on this night and the following day. But what we're going to see in this story is that Jesus presses past the pain out of a love that is also unparalleled in human history. And so as we look at how he handled his pain, I'd like to suggest that we can follow his example as we seek to process the pain that we are experiencing in our day. So I want to invite us to follow the paradigm of Jesus for loving past the pain. Follow the paradigm of Jesus for loving past the pain. We're going to move in two parts, okay? We're going to, A, examine this pain that Jesus experienced that we just read, and then we're going to consider this love that that pushed him through and that worked toward peace for those that were broken around him as well as we ourselves. So let me give you two encouragements here this morning. The first is this. We can take heart. We can take heart because Jesus understands our greatest pain. We can take heart because Jesus understands our greatest pain. We see his pain highlighted in in three separate experiences just as we work through these 27 verses. What we see going on is first you have this unbelievable betrayal from one of Jesus' closest followers. The arrest scene was orchestrated by a man named Judas Iscariot, and Judas Iscariot was hand-selected by Jesus to be in his kind of inner circle of 12 closest followers. And so if there was anyone that should have been loyal to Jesus in his darkest hours, it should have been Judas, but Judas is actually orchestrating these darkest hours, not just betraying him, okay, not just like kind of like going behind his back and saying a couple of bad things about Jesus, like that's how, that's how we get betrayed these days, right, um, typically speaking, but 
Judas betrays him to the death. Verse 2 says that this was, of course, uh, so well orchestrated because Judas had been to this garden across the the Kidron Brook where Jesus hung out with his disciples on many a night. Scholars believe that whenever there were festivals, Jewish, uh, you know, uh, the Jewish nation was famous for festivals and they would have multiple festivals throughout the year whereby when visitors would come into the city, they would need to stay within a certain proximity to the city. And so it's, it's, it's unsurprising that Jesus would hang out in this garden area with his disciples on multiple occasions. And this scene that had once been an occasion for for laughter and and perhaps tears and for for teaching and being taught, Judas and Jesus now becomes the scene for his betrayal to death. And as we think about the significance of the betrayal, as we try to grab, grab it, it into our, our hearts and minds. Uh, we should understand that the early church, when they reflected on this night, there was a lot happening on this night. Okay, they, they express it in terms of his betrayal. So Paul, who was an early leader in the church, when he's writing to this group known as the Corinthians, who lived in the city of Corinth, um, he's instructing them about partaking of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do later in our service today. And it was a, 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 an act that they were to do as followers of Jesus to remember and reflect upon his death on their behalf. And so when Paul introduces it, he does not say on the night that Jesus was arrested. He does not say on the night that Jesus was falsely accused and condemned to die a criminal's death. But he says what? On the night he was betrayed. Jesus experienced the pain of betrayal, but he also experienced pain from this unjust trial at the hands of his enemies. We, we should pause and just step back from time to time, especially when we get into what for some of us are familiar stories. I know I'm not familiar to all here today, but, but as we think about the cross, the central symbol of Christianity, and we look at these events that, that are woven around the crucifixion, sometimes we think, oh, I've, I've got that, I've heard that, I know that, and, and we just kind of fly by what's going on here. But let's not forget that Jesus is being arrested and tried and condemned condemned as a criminal of the nation. And what happens here is this. His arrest was out warrant, was without warrant. These hearings that happened in the middle of the night were not according to Jewish law. A case was supposed to be brought by witnesses and that, that evidence was to be corroborated by other witnesses. And so that's why, like, Jesus is not being a smart aleck here in John chapter 18. Like, hey, you heard me teach, and so many other people did. Like, why don't you ask him what Jesus is doing, the smooth operator that he is? Is he saying there should be some witnesses in here, and you're not supposed to be asking me about my transgressions, but you're supposed to ask other people who can verify it with other people. And he's pointing out that this is completely wrong by the standards of their own law that they claim to be executing. And they strike him in the face, another action cutting against Jewish law in these proceedings. Matthew would tell us about this same scene that 
they spit in his face and struck him with their fists and slapped him. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. This is the Son of God spat upon, struck, slapped, mocked. But tragically, it was not only Jesus' enemies who are bringing about this emotional pain and now physical pain, but it was also some of his closest friends. We find on three separate occasions, just as Jesus told his good friend Peter, perhaps his closest friend and closest follower, the, the argument could be made, um, Peter proceeds to deny Jesus three times in the span of just a couple of hours. Once to a servant girl watching at the door to the courtyard once to a group of people that were warming themselves, gathered around a fire, and then to a relative of Malchus who Peter had just tried to take out his ear. But on every occasion, Peter explicitly says, blatantly denies he is associated with Jesus. Do you follow him? Not me? Are you one of his disciples? I am not. It's one thing to be forsaken by people who hardly know us, but it's a whole different ballgame to be denied by the people who love us most. Luke, another gospel writer, would tell us in chapter 22, um, in verses 61 and 62 this. It says, And the Lord, when, when all this happened, when Peter denied him three times, Jesus, it says, turned and looked at Peter. Can you just, can you just picture that moment? The hurt in the eyes of Christ. And, and now Peter, remembering those words, it says that, he remembered those words before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm kind of reading this story and I'm thinking, you know, like, man, if, if, I were, if I were there, I would have been a little better than Peter. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, but, but if, if you are thinking that, then you already show, like me, that we are already more like Peter than we think we are. Proud and presumptuous. And it's not easy being a follower of Jesus, I don't think, this, this day and age. It's not always the most popular, you know, uh, thing to, to be a follower of Christ. It's the greatest thing, but it's not as the most popular thing. And so there are going to be times when we're pressed in, like, hey, like, do you follow Jesus? Like, you live this way. Is that because you follow Jesus? And whether that's with friends or in our neighborhoods or workplaces, there are going to be times probably where we either explicitly or even implicitly just toning it down, we ourselves deny our Lord. And, and listen, we need to, yes, feel sorrow for that like Peter does, but we also, as we'll see at the end of the Gospel of John, we need to be ready to receive the forgiveness of Jesus when we fail him and even when we deny him because he offers us that. So we see that Jesus is acquainted with problems, acquainted with 
with our difficulties in life. Um, Isn't it comforting? And isn't it hope-producing to know that we follow a God who gets our pain? Hebrews 4 puts it like this, a motivator to prayer, a motivator toward relationship with God in light of who he is in moments like these that we've experienced this week. It says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who's that? Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And why is that? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He totally understands our experiences as people. That's why then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The first thing I want to encourage us with is this. Take heart because Jesus understands our greatest pain. But then as we move forward and we think about how not only does he understand our pain, but he is able to push through the pain to bring about peace, then we need to, I think, emulate him by doing the same thing. Not only taking heart by understanding that Jesus understands our greatest pain, but number two, we can push past the pain ourselves by loving like Jesus ourselves. The intense irony of this story, okay, is that Jesus is being relationally, I don't think it's too strong to say, destroyed, betrayed by one of his closest followers, unjustly tried, arrested, and eventually condemned by his enemies around him, and then denied by one of his absolutely three closest followers. Jesus was, had to be crushed relationally here. But the intense irony of this, of this story is that Jesus is going to die on a Roman cross so that every fractured relationship, including anyone that had ever betrayed him, including anyone then and now who has ever denied him, can have that relationship with him, with with God, and with one another restored through what he has done for us on the cross. A lot of times I think we're we're prone to this, okay? We're prone to thinking about the, the cross being just a remedy for our vertical relationship with God. And it is certainly not less than that. Let's understand that we have an issue with God because we ourselves have taken issue with God. We're saying like, man, I've got this God. I don't need you. I don't need to follow your ways. And we've all been in that same boat. The Bible is clear. All of us are in the same boat in that regard. But Jesus lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we should have died. And so that we can now have this relationship with God restored and made whole and healed. But it's not only the vertical relationship. It's also every single one of our horizontal relationships. 
All of our human relationships now have the ability and the power through Christ to be restored on this side of eternity and on the, the, the other side of eternity. So Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This is what he says. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might, check this out, create in himself one man in place of the two. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles here, okay? He's talking about people that didn't get along. He's talking about people that did not like one another. He's talking about people that didn't have the same religious perspective until they met Jesus. But now Jesus takes two people and he makes them one, so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, check this out, killing the hostility, this is what Jesus accomplishes in his death. Not just remedying our vertical relationship, but every horizontal relationship, no matter what the background of the people may be, no matter what the ethnicity, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter the socioeconomic background, no matter the generational differences, Jesus takes a bunch of different people and he brings them together and makes them one. Just look around. I love this church. And one reason I love this church is because we are God's church. We are Christ's church. It's not about like group of like we have this kind of agenda and we're going to be this kind of we're going to no. We are a church for all people. We always say we want to be a thumbprint of our community. We want to be a mirror, a reflection of the people of Medford and greater Boston. And I love, even from our earliest days, five years ago, God started to do that. And he is increasingly doing so. And we want to see that continue, not just congregationally, not just at the kind of the leadership level of our groups and teams, but even amongst our pastors and more staff. We want to see ethnic diversity and diversity across the board infused through the life of our church. I'm getting excited. I'm way ahead of my notes now, but that stuff is good. All right? So, so, so listen, Jesus here, and, and this is so, so encouraging to me, nothing would stop Jesus from accomplishing this. It says in verse 4 that he knew everything that was about to happen. In other words, a.k.a. like he knew he was going to die. And when the people come to arrest him, he steps right up. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for Jesus? I'm not, that's me. You can arrest me. You can falsely try me. You can falsely condemn me because I know what I'm about to do. I'm about to die for the sins of the world, which includes all of these jacked up people that are rejecting me and betraying me and denying me right now. And so I just think, I'm no like, you know, I, I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, but I think this scene has something to say to us today. And let me just suggest a few thoughts. I think, I think there needs to be discussion. I think there needs to be a lot of prayer. I think there needs to be a lot of listening in our discussion as we move. I mean, this is not going away. The trouble of this week is not going away. We pray that it goes away and goes away rapidly, but 
These are issues that we are going to continue to face and work through until Jesus returns and the coming kingdom of God is restored. So so let me just give a few encouragements in light of this story and in light of uh, what Scripture says about these matters, okay? Number one, we need to affirm the dignity of every human soul. Affirm the dignity of every human soul. Jesus went to the cross to die for all people, red and yellow, black and white. Jesus was neither white nor black. So, for sure. So when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for all people, like, we can, we can get behind a hashtag that says Black Lives Matter because what that represents. Most certainly, black lives matter. Most certainly, we should have friends, if we're not black, who are black. And their lives matter. They matter to God and they, they should matter to us. And let me just say this, okay? And I think even a couple of months ago, I may have at one point in in my posting on social media, I may have even done this, you know, where, yes, Black Lives Matter, and I know I hashtagged that this week, I believe, um, but I think I've also hashtagged, like, all lives matter. And that's great, right? That is true. But let's be careful, like, when we post all lives matter, because some people can receive that as as very insensitive to to the moment that's happening in our, in our culture, right? Just think about it, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Like God knows our heart and it's the, the, the intentions of our heart that are, that are most important, but we need to be sensitive as we, as we speak out and, and support even black lives, all lives. They all matter to God. We all matter to God. And, and I would just say this, like if, if, this is, um, if this news is not kind of sinking into your soul yet, I think one of the best things that you could do is just go and read the names of the people. When the shootings happened in Charleston, I have to admit, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was taken back. It was an affront. It was certainly disturbing. But it wasn't until I started to read the names of the people and the lives that were represented there that it really started to rock my soul. And so now we have the names of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Lauren Ahrens, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Michael Thompson, and Patrick Zemaripia. Those people were someone's husband, someone's father, someone's son, someone's friend. Every soul matters to God. We're all made in his image. And because all people matter to God and we can affirm the dignity of every human soul, then we should be relating to one another in ways that honor God and one another, right? And so the Bible is replete with encouragements, instruction, assignments for us to do these very things. There's a verse in Romans chapter 12 that simply says this. I've seen it a lot this week, and it's very, very appropriately to, to see it this week. Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. Perhaps that means shedding some tears with friends who are shedding tears. Or if you're shedding tears, inviting someone into your tears. Perhaps it means listening with 
a sensitive and patient ear to the fears that people are feeling? I mean, Marcia and I are open to adoption, and there's a very, you know, decent chance that if we adopt, we don't adopt a white kid. So, so then that could be that could be our son. It could be your son. And 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 again, I know we live in a social media world. And I think it's great for conversation and for expressing thoughts and ideas and emotions even. I think, I think it's good. But, but could I just encourage us to have some like real-time conversations with one another? And again, like I, I need to take these steps myself. I even want to have some conversations with some of my friends within Redemption Hill. Hey, how have you processed the events of this week? How did they make you feel? Do you have fears related to these realities? It's good to talk on social media. It's, I think, oftentimes better to talk in person. So we weep with those who weep. And, and, and here's just, this is so simple, but, but we, can, we can start by loving our actual neighbors. We've, we've talked about this as a church a few months ago, and we looked at our neighborhoods and who our actual neighbors are, and we said, like, Jesus, the second greatest commandment is, like, the first is to love God with everything you are, and then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, again, one thing I love about Medford is that we have people from all over the world. People have flocked here over the centuries from, from, from all different parts of, of the globe, and so honestly, I think like you almost have to try to not have friends of different ethnicities. I mean, if you, if you are a part of our church, if you become a part of our church, it's just going to naturally happen if you're like in our midst. It's a beautiful thing. And as we look to reach out and love those around us, this is why we were motivated in part to host this thing we call soccer nights, all right? Soccer nights is going to happen this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, 6 to 8. And we wanted to choose something. When we were planning for this six years ago now, this is our sixth summer, believe it or not, where we've hosted soccer nights. We wanted to choose an event that would resonate with the families of Medford and provide a service to the families of Medford. But we wanted to provide a service that would appeal to all kinds of families in Medford, right? And so then you have the global sport, football. Um, I'm not German. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like soccer, people from all over the world love soccer. And so this week, check this out, okay? If you show up to soccer nights and if you don't have plans already, you probably will now. On that field, behind the Andrews Middle School, we will have, check this out, people, participants, families, volunteers from 33 different countries of origin. That's, that's our city. That, that's, that's basically our church, but, 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 but we can grow and catch up to that kind of number and that kind of ratio. But, but how encouraging is that? To, to go and to serve families from all, all over the globe that now live and, and work and play here in the city of Medford. 
Haiti, Canada, India, Nepal, Lithuania, Taiwan, Iran, Brazil, Dominican Republic, Somalia, Pakistan, Ireland, El Salvador, Chile, Ethiopia, Lebanon, Colombia, Morocco, Portugal, Cuba, Nicaragua, Jamaica, Vietnam, France, Yemen, Iraq, Kenya, Bangladesh, China, Ghana, Cameroon, Rwanda, and the United States of America. Thank you very much. That is who is going to be at Soccer Nights. And I'm just telling you, thank you. Let's get hype about that. It's okay to get excited in church. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus rose from the dead, that we can have a party once in a while. We're going to have a party this week. Um, man, I better shut this sermon down. I'm gonna, um, we should be excited, right? And, and so let me just, a few tips, all right? Just a few tips. And these are like, you're not going to like, again, Tanner, you're so smart, no. Um, how about this? Learn some people's names. Like when you go, whether you're a participant or a registration worker or a coach, learn, learn names. Learn the names of the kids. Learn the names of the parents. Get to know people because people matter to God. All people matter to God. And then we can maybe stop and have some conversations, you know, like, don't, don't be so busy, don't be so caught up in your thing, your task, your family, your friends, to not get to know someone new. What happens if 120 volunteers and all of the families that are connected to Redemption Hill, um, we at least meet one or two people who aren't like us, that don't look like us, and we build some friendships here, and then that's happening amongst those that are participating. I'm telling you, we're different, and our city is different. That's a good thing. Meet needs, do your job. Um, I'm not Bill Belichick, but you know. Um, offer water. Help, help people find the field where they need to go. Connect them with leadership if there's a need that arises. If you're on hospitality, cut those oranges straight. You know what I'm saying? Like, do, that, do your job well. If you're on the, registra the registration team, do that with joy. Welcome people with joy. If you're a coach, make sure those kids have a blast. Like even if they're getting on your nerves to the nth degree, still make sure they have a blast, okay? That, that's your job. Learn names. Stop and have conversations. How simple is this stuff? Meet needs. Do your job. And then, and then finally, invite people into your story, our story, and the story. John said it so well in our welcome as we were praying for soccer nights. We don't host soccer nights so that 300 people will come to church next Sunday, July 17th. Now, do we ever turn anyone away? I mean, there are about a thousand seats down here. We want to push this ribbon back. We want Redemption to grow because we love all people. We want people to know who Christ is and experience him. So, of course, we're going to make some relationships. One of, one of my good friends now, um, you'll hear more of his story later this year, okay? Um, I met him two years ago at soccer nights. He and his family started coming to Redemption Hill. Now he is fully on board with Jesus, and Jesus has changed his life. Those things happen because we're just going and serving, and, and we're being who we are. So make some, make some friendships. Invite people. Invite someone out for, you know, ice cream or dinner after soccer nights. Um, let them know. I mean, a natural question. Like, so who puts this thing on? What is it about? Oh, this is a, our church takes the lead in, in hosting soccer nights. Why would you do this? Well, we love to serve people like God has served us. 
We want to make Medford a greater city. We're a church that's in the city and for the city. So anything that we can do to give back and make Medford a greater city than it already is, then we're all about that. And you know what? You can come and help us. Even if you don't come on Sunday, you can come and help us make Medford a greater city as we're out serving in a variety of ways throughout the course of the year. So invite them into your story. Invite them into our story of Redemption Hill. And then, of course, maybe perhaps God will give you an opportunity for you to even Take it a step further and talk about Jesus because, again, you're not like coming with your Bible in your back pocket ready to hit someone upside the head with it. You're just ready to say, you know, this is who I am and God's changed me and he's made me someone that would want to give of my time um, in the evenings for an entire week um, for the betterment of these kids. He is someone that has made me generous when I didn't used to be generous. So many examples we could look at. So let's love our actual neighbors. And then finally, let's remind one another of the better story. Affirm the dignity of every human soul. Weep with those who weep. Let's love our actual neighbors. And as we go, let's remind one another of the better story. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it's bending toward justice. And that happens through Christ and his cross. And so now we can be confident of Verses like Amos 5, 24, where it says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Jesus lived and died in spite of being betrayed, in spite of being denied, in spite of being rejected. He pushed past that pain through love, and now we who follow him and we who may choose to follow him have the opportunity to do the same. So let's pray together and let's ask God to make us this kind of people that would push past the pain to love as he has loved us. God, thank you so much that you speak to us right where we are and you help us right where we need to be helped. God, we would be lying if we said we have it all together, that we love all people like you have loved us, God. There are prejudices in each of our hearts that sometimes we don't even see. And so, God, would you forgive us for being short-sighted at times, for being unloving at times, perhaps for even being hateful at times. And God, would you make us a people who reflect you? God, give us countless opportunities and help us to see those opportunities, whether it's at soccer nights or whether it's at 10 other places this week. God, may we move toward people like you've moved toward us. May we love people like you have loved us. May we listen to people like you have modeled for us. God, we want you to do a great work in our hearts. We want you to make this church even more beautifully diverse as it is in heaven. And so, God, I even pray that we would connect with some families that would say, you know what, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I, I know I need something more. Maybe you can help me explore that. God, I pray that we would have that opportunity as, as a group of people who just simply want to love and serve our neighbors. God, help us to do that well this week and reflect the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen.